Hi, this is Jay Todd Anderson, and you are listening to an archival episode of Filmically Perfect. Hello, and welcome to another edition of Filmically Perfect on 91.3 WYSO. It is our favorite Friday feature. We take a chance to look at some of the finest movies ever made in a particularly special edition today. First, let me welcome J. Todd Anderson, storyboard artist for the Coen Brothers and beyond. J. Todd, welcome. Also in the studio today, we have George Willeman, the film archivist for the Library of Congress. George, welcome. Good evening. <laughs> Thanks so much for coming by and in a special sort of a spooky spirit for this month of October. Uh, we're doing all spooky movies and today even more uh, perhaps... Um, Specifically, we are honing in on perfectly disturbing moments of horror through the years. Jay Todd, can you get us started on this vein? Yes, normally we uh, talk about perfect movies, but today we're going to talk about what disturbs you from movies. Things that kind of <laughs> stick with you. When was the last time you took a shower and that curtain started to move? And you peeked around the curtain because you saw the glint of a knife. Mm-hmm. Huh? Uh-huh. Was it? Could have been. Mm-hmm. Could have been. Or you may have just watched a movie the night before. Or the next day you maybe watched a movie uh, called Jaws. And you were going to go swimming the next day. And you went tw- swimming in a lake. And you swore you saw a shark fin. There are no sharks in lakes. Ha ha. Doesn't matter. We don't care because... <laughs> Movies would like like for you to think otherwise. And that is the culprit right there. We're going to spin that big blame wheel right now. And the blame arrow for all the disturbances that you have. Like the, these cognizant disturbances you have when you're going to the store or anything. If somebody's following you, that blame goes to... Tell us, George, who, does, who do we blame? Well, the blame today goes to the pioneers of cinema. We go all the way back to 1896 when the Lumiere brothers had some of their first shows in Paris. And one of the first films they ran... No, George, a- put the knife down! I told you to! Anyways, uh, one of the first films that the Lumiere brothers ran for the public was a film called The Arrival of a Train at La Ciotat Station. And in this film, it's very basic. The, the train... The, the camera's on the platform, the train pulls into the station. Simple. Uh, however, people at that time had no context or thought of motion pictures. So they see this humongous screen with this train barreling right toward them. They screamed, they leapt and got out of the way. And so the shock moment of cinema was born and and grew from that point on. Uh, Georges Melies, within a year or two, began developing special effects. He was turning people into skeletons, cutting people's heads off, uh, creating giants, and uh, bringing life to the merry frolics of Satan. <laughs> and, and it just kept building from there. Uh, in 1910, Edison uh, released the first version of Frankenstein. And in Into the 20s, we have Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde coming out. Uh, but, but most of these films... Even then, the, the horror element wasn't truly there because the big missing element was sound. Sound is what brought the horror film to its full fruition. One of the few moments of the silent cinema that was truly horrifying and still packs somewhat of a wallop 
would be the unmasking of the Phantom in the Phantom of the Opera from 1925. What an image, what an image. I'm telling you, I had that plastic monogram kit uh, along with Wolfman, Frankenstein, and uh, Superman, but he's not really in this category. Um, but there was also another great silent film uh, that really kind of struck a tone for us from the rest of movies, the history of movies, is Nostaroptu. Yes. Um, um, uh, F.W. Murnau's version, unauthorized version of the Dracula story. Uh, the, 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 the vampire in it is very, very uh, creepy, uh, almost rat-like in many ways. Big, long, pointy teeth. Uh, very dirty. Kind of like uh, media representatives. Not <laughs> <laughs> now this film is in black and white, but you'll swear when he's biting into the the, the neck of a very luscious female that it, that his blood is just red. It's gorishly red, but it's in black and white. Now that, that shows you some of the power that horror films have over people, even back then in the silent era, that they were able to evoke such an emotion, you know, and uh, this movie was very frightening back in those days. And think about how frightening that was, and now we have blood red color and the sound of the screeching to go along with it. The uh, And speaking of screeching, as I was saying, the, the coming of sound is what brought us our first big break of the horror films. In 1931, Universal Studios brought to us the first of Dracula and Frankenstein, and especially in the case of Frankenstein, um, because the marvelous director James Whale uh, brings us one of the great disturbing moments when the monster is revealed to us for the very first time, coming into the laboratory, and, and Whale has him come in with his back to the camera and slowly turn to the camera, and then, rather than moving in to reveal the, uh, the face of the monster, he cuts to progressively closer shots until finally filling the screen with this huge close-up of this dead face, which at the time in 31, uh, again, people screamed, people fainted. It was nothing they had ever seen before. It was like a glint of life in his eyes. You didn't know whether he was really dead or alive. He's all butchered up. You can see all the stuff. He set the tone, of course, for the Frankenstein monster from then on, which you know was a book for quite a while. Right. And then all of a sudden... We recognize Frankenstein's monster as this image uh, of Boris Karloff. How interesting. And also, I mean, there was no necessarily fire or pitchforks in hell before Dante. And so Nosferatu set the, set the pace for Dracula and Frankenstein. That original portrayal lasts not only in our collective consciousness, but for every reinterpretation. Very interesting indeed right. how these stick. We're talking with J. Todd Anderson and George Willeman on Filmically Perfect, taking special care and consideration today of the perfectly disturbing moments of horror throughout the years. Again, being scared is the polite term for what is making you disturbed. (laughs) What is disturbing you for the rest of your life? You know, the, well, the movies we're talking about have moments that disturb you, and they will not let you go. And, and throughout the 1930s, throughout the first big uh, big horror film spurt, I guess you'd say, uh, the monsters were literal monsters. I mean, we had vampires, and the Frankenstein monster, and werewolves, and, and uh, mummies, and the Invisible Man. And the only exception to that, and probably one of the most disturbing films ever made, a little film made in 1933 called Freaks by the director Todd Browning, also uh, famous for uh, Dracula. And in Freaks, he tells a very, very odd love story. Uh, and besides having the, the actors playing the main characters, he hired a whole troupe of actors from 
circuses and sideshows. Very special people. They were like Johnny Eck, the half-man, and uh, several uh, people who at the time were referred to as pinheads, which are now called microcephalics. There um, was a bearded lady. There's um, a skeletal man. And they are a brotherhood. And one of the normal big people uh, invades this group and uh, transgresses against them. And they band together to, to take care of her and her lover. You showed and me a still of that. And it is a, quite a visual, quite a stunning visual. too many images visual. in that movie that won't... Uh, Disturb. No, and the whole last reel, which takes place during an incredible thunderstorm with rain and mud and... and uh, the little people slogging through the mud toward the uh, the supposedly normal people who are much more powerful is, to this day, a chilling a chilling scene. And and although many years the film was unavailable, in fact it was even banned in many places, uh, thanks to our friends at Warner's Warner Home Video, uh, it is now available in a very beautiful uh, restoration on DVD, along with a really nice uh, documentary about the making of the film and what happened to the little people who were in it. You had mentioned that it got an X rating in some places upon release, and also in England got an H, H rating, which no longer horrific, exists. Right, for horrific. Horrific. Content. Yeah. But um, once once World War II comes along, there's a big change after the war because during the war, the people finally came face to face with the real horror and it was us. It was just basic people. And uh, the monsters who were so beloved to us in the 30s found themselves relegated to comedy material for Abbott and Costello. <laughs> uh, now we see in the 50s the coming of a much more psychological terror, monsters who look like us. And also those, those sort of nameless, faceless horrors that come to us. One of the first changes after the war of how monsters affect us is the thing. Uh, and that movie starts off with a bunch of Army Air Corps guys and their leather jackets and their crush caps and their 1911 Colts on their side. They're our representative of World War II, but they're not fighting the Japanese. They're not fighting the Germans. They're fighting something much different now. It's not a wolf man. It's not a vampire. It's th now we're into a whole different realm of uh, uh, cinema when, it, when this thing from outer space, they find it, they dig it up, they thaw it out, and uh, they can't control it. They've, they've, they've unleashed it. Which is so interesting to point out now about how like the horror movies seem to have definitely uh, mirrored the cultural sort of prevailing thinking into projecting that into whatever the monsters were moving from very literal to now, you know, almost fighting the unknown and the unknowable. That's right. And in the thing, I mean, it's very much that this, this creature that comes, it's very human looking. But it's referred to in the movie as a as a huge walking carrot. It's actually like a vegetable creature, and it's come and it's it's slaughtering the people at the Arctic Station with slicer dicers, right? For its for their blood to feed its young, which it is planting in the greenhouse. And this is where one of the great disturbing moments for me, especially, came, is when the uh, soldiers go to the greenhouse to actually get the bodies of the, their slain comrades. They unlock the door of the greenhouse and open it, and there is the thing standing there. And he stands there for what seems like an eternity and then lashes out at them and they slam the door shut. And it's just an incredibly shocking moment because you don't expect it at all. And it was very resonating for me. And picture little George Willowman. <laughs> when they went all to buy those. flowers one day, he flipped out and 
and took a carrot and tried to defend himself with this carrot and then he dropped the carrot because he was horrified that that and, was and the I, beast within. And I, and I can tell you this and my mother will concur that I, I stayed away from vegetables for the rest of my childhood after seeing that movie. Imagine that. That's powerful. It is. It's disturbing. It's disturbing. We're talking with J. Todd Anderson and George Willeman today on Filmically Perfect about perfectly disturbing moments of horror. And there are a lot of them. We're going we're gonna to talk about some of the movies that George and I appreciate and we really like that aren't really classified as a horror movie. People don't gen- generally lump them in, but they, they really are. That. And the one, as I mentioned earlier, was uh, Jaws. And when Jaws came out in 75... It scared everybody to death. I mean, everybody was so frightened by the cinematic technique that Steven Spielberg used to tell this story. And people wouldn't go to lakes. They wouldn't swim. And uh, they were scared to. They were scared to go in the water, as the advertising used to say. And uh, as I read one time, that people were even scared to sit on the toilet. You know, I don't know what town this was in, but I did read this. You know, I imagine Jaws coming, you know, and... That was a that was an incredibly powerful movie as far as what cinema can do, and it's never been classified as a horror movie, which I can't quite figure no, that out. No, but it definitely is. I mean, this this, this creature that comes and is un, is basically unstoppable. For and the, the suspense, part. just yeah. amazing suspense throughout that and, movie, and and the music is notable too. Da-dun. Yeah, music. And oh, this is an interesting sideline that uh, some oceanologists once uh, actually took a recording of the Jaws theme and put it underwater and played it, and the sharks went wild. No. They were scared to go in the water. Sorry, even the sharks were scared to go in the water. No. <laughs> they and were, they did, no, that can't possibly happen. <laughs> if it says anything to the power of this film and to the talent of, of, of Steven Spielberg, uh, seeing this film on the big screen just about four or five years ago uh, with an audience that actually probably had not seen the film when it came out originally, because most of them were, were probably in their 60s and 70s, the film still works to this day. All the shocks that were placed in the film work perfectly. The people screamed at the right place. They laughed at the right place. Uh, they passed out at the right place. It was really astonishing. <laughs> Which is one of the reasons it's on our perfect movie list. Also, another amazing film that's not classified as a horror film, which still scares everybody to death, is The Birds. Innocuous little teeny creatures. Such sweet things. Yeah, who pick your eye out when they have <laughs> enough people, to, enough of their other fellow brethren birds to gang up on you. And, uh, you know, how many times have you thought about this when you see a bunch of starlings, you know, and, and, and they all come after people. They won't, we're time to, it's time to get rid of all people in this movie, and that's exactly yeah, what Yeah, that, that's part of the horror of it is that this, whatever it is, we are never given the reason for the birds suddenly swarming together. It just happens, and there's nothing we can do to stop it. And at the end of the movie, when the film finishes, it still hasn't stopped. There's no resolution the humans, again, are escaping for their lives quietly so as not to bother the birds. The carnage that these birds create is just nobody ever thinks about small little creatures, you know. Uh, and, you know, Nikki, I'll just bet, I'll just bet that there's a film in your past that has made you disturbed. I'll tell you what. You can spin that blame wheel right now. What film is that? I don't, George, do you remember the name of this film? Uh, yes, Trilogy of Terror. And I think mine was the third part of that trilogy. It was the last little bit wherein an actress, Karen Black, I do believe she was, received uh, the gift of an, a very small African doll in the mail. She receives it in the evening and unwraps it, puts it on her coffee table, goes about the rest of her business, sits back down, the doll's gone. Sort of begins 
begins uh, what was one of the most frightening uh, scenes of my young movie watching uh, life, and it ends with that little doll hiding in every dark crevice, every dark so cabinet. So you're walking down the street, honestly, the doll is behind and it's you. a tiny little doll, and how how they managed to do it so well that I was physically afraid for my own safety that this doll did exist, even in my own home, under my own bed, like under the refrigerator, in, in the shower. And what happens after that, George? Who's on the bed? Oh, yes, in Poltergeist, uh, of course, which is a great almost textbook example of all of our, our boogeyman fears, uh, the poor little boy goes to look under the bed for anything spooky, and there's nothing there. But when he comes back up, there's his evil clown doll ready to strangle him, uh, adding more to the, the you know the, the basic fear of clowns that we all have. Only reinforces you know the disturbing nature of what's under the bed. You yeah. know that would be another great whole segment though, like the disturbing nature of clowns. But uh, Ooh, yeah. here on filmically perfect, we're talking about disturbing, in fact, perfectly disturbing moments of horror through the years, and everyone's got one. By the way, if you have a, the opportunity to drop an email, we'd love to know about your perfectly disturbing moments. Yes, it's, please tell us about your disturbing, your perfectly disturbing moments. Always blame it on movies, of course. Of course. Yeah. Right, and, and we would love to share them with the rest of our listeners. Yes. If you have a really juicy one. You can actually go to the website at perfectmovie.net and check out all the back uh, back issues of this segment. Also, um, send an email. It's filmguys at perfectmovie.net. Again, that's filmguys at perfectmovie.net. We'd love to about, hear about your perfectly terrifying and uh, disturbing moments, but also just your thoughts in general. Maybe it's David Hedison in The Fly when his the little fly is caught in the uh, spider web and there's a little head on there going... Vincent Price takes a big old rock, smashes, smashes him. him, you know. Or possibly it's uh, the uh, penultimate moment of um, Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Either version, they are both wonderful. Ooh, cool. When the hero realizes that his, his beloved uh, uh, significant other has been taken over by the pod people, <laughs> regardless of what he was able to do or, or not. So happy to see him. <laughs> Yeah. See, warning funny? goes out even just thinking about just conjuring up the image just now not even actually getting to see it I've just had uh, some goosebumps several times or it times could be the faceless killers that uh, permeated the cinema or it, it could be Freddy who you know who lurks Freddy in all your dreams or Jason yeah Jason the real faceless killer with a yeah. mask on his face you can the never see what's going on behind that mask yeah. you can only wonder what's going on in that expression which even makes it more disturbing doesn't it Perfectly disturbing. <laughs> Perfectly disturbing. <laughs> Gentlemen, thank you as always. And do stop by our website at perfectmovie.net. And don't forget to send an email. We'd love to hear what your thoughts are. And definitely share the horror. That's Film Guys at perfectmovie.net. Speaking of Freddy Krueger, uh, our next perfect, filmically perfect movie is going to be Nightmare on Elm Street. The first one. The, right, first, the one. first and the best one. Uh, Freddy Krueger, when he was really scary before he became the sort of self-parodying buffoon that he was forced into in the mini sequels. Yeah, yeah kind of like Jaws when they moved to Idaho or wherever it is, and <laughs> that shark follows her all over the place, you know? Uh, it just can't top the original. And a lot of people, they, uh, they have a hard time with us calling this movie a perfect movie, and it fits into the rules quite nicely, and we we will be more Tune to in next accept time. any challenges on this because this is a great picture. This Tune in next picture. time and we will tell you why. 
Gentlemen, thank you so much. J. Todd Anderson, thank you. Thank you. (laughs) George Williman, much obliged. It's been a pleasure. (laughs) It's Film Guys at PerfectMovie.net. Filmically Perfect on 91.3 WYSO. No, stop it! Thank you for listening to an archival episode of Filmically Perfect. Please keep an ear out for new episodes of Filmically Perfect. Coming very soon to iTunes and hosted on our website, www.perfectmovie.net. See you, please.